Trump ban on TikTok is now official. Black Hat and DEF CON are underway. And security experts weigh in on election security. There's a lot to break down before we head off to the weekend. I'm Roger Chang, and this is your Daily Charge. With me is security reporter Laura Hatala. Thanks for joining me, Laura. Thanks for having me. So I want I want to talk to you about election security and the two security conferences that are going on, Black Hat and DEF CON. But let's let's get to the big headline of the day. Late last night, President Trump issued an executive order effectively banning TikTok and WeChat. So what's the latest? And, and really, let's focus on TikTok because that's the big uh, target of Trump. So what is the latest? So it seems like this could be a mechanism to try and get the apps off of um, app stores. And, uh, you know, that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on TikTok. Uh, You can still use TikTok if it's already on your phone. But, you know, this move basically could push TikTok uh, towards uh, being sold to a U.S. company. And it's owned by ByteDance. So ByteDance is really the company that has to figure out what it's going to do with this property now. Right. Now, the immediate reaction is, you know, this will likely face legal challenges. Uh, There's a lot of questions about just how legitimate this executive order is. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, definitely there can be legal challenges against this. Uh, Trump had to invoke a state of emergency to make this order. There was already a process underway to do this in a uh, more straightforward way through the Commerce Department, where the panel there could have ordered the sale of TikTok from ByteDance to a U.S. company. And uh, this order just kind of skips over that. So a legal challenge could focus on, you know, was there really cause to skip over that the whole process? Um, So it's really going to depend on whether that process holds up. And, uh, you know, that could also all become moot if there is a sale of the company and, uh, you know, this whole issue becomes resolved. Yeah, it's important to note that this ban takes effect in 45 days. And Microsoft has already confirmed that it is talking to ByteDance about a potential deal and has set a deadline of September 15th, which is well within this window. But but clearly, uh, this executive order uh, adds a little bit of motivation to the proceedings. So let's get on to election security. You've been monitoring the Black Hat Security Conference that's been going on. What have they been saying about the integrity of our elections come November? Well, it's been really interesting because in 2016, there was this issue of really longstanding concerns about the security of voting machines themselves, being able to, you know, securely count the vote, capture and count votes accurately without being tampered with by hackers. Um, those issues had been, you know, brought up in the past, but in 2016, when there were signs of a concerted effort to actually tamper with the election, then those concerns became way more important. So as a result, uh, you know, actually some really positive changes started happening. Uh, people are, the voting offices started moving away from paperless, uh, voting machines that make it harder to tell if there's been any kind of tampering with the machine. And that was one of the major recommendations that security experts were making. So that was positive. And then the federal government was really coordinating with um, elections agencies around the country to help eliminate threats to other systems that they run, uh, like voter registration databases. So that was really good. Then the pandemic hit. And so now what we're really facing, and this was something that was emphasized by both Chris Krebs, who runs CISA, and that's the Department of Homeland Security um, group that works with the elections agencies. And he, he was talking about this as well as Matt Blaze, who's a really well-known um, cryptographer and election security expert. 
they were both saying, you know, now we're going to see issues around coronavirus. And what that can look like is, you know, trying to figure out how to let everyone vote safely. Will we be able to ramp up uh, paper mail-in ballots quickly enough in all 50 states to, um, you know, make that happen in time for the election and then handle all the insane logistical challenges that come with that? Because it's just, you know, educating voters on how the ballots work so that they can use them correctly and not have them be rejected and making sure that we have the infrastructure at uh, voting agencies to count all those ballots correctly. And and that we have the way to check and make sure there's no problem with the way we're counting them. Um, so it's just like, you know, oh, hello, now you have to do a whole different system for voting and make sure that that's secure and, you know, deal with other concerns that we had later. Right. So, you know, let's talk about that because say President Trump has, has talked a lot about the potential for voting fraud when it comes to mail-in voting. What, what do the security experts say about that process? Uh, in general, mail-in ballots haven't been found to be susceptible to really large-scale fraud. Pretty much every security expert I spoke with said that concerns about, like, you know, copying on a copy machine a ton of ballots and mailing them all in, that's not going to work. You know, people making their own ballots and mailing them in, that's not going to... It's a much more secure process than that. There's watermarks, there's barcodes, there's security numbers, there's, you know, each voter has their own ballot. And it's really hard to duplicate or replicate that in any way. So, you know, those, those concerns are, are not really shared by election security experts. Um, the concerns that they do have are just about the logistics of how hard it is to kind of run this program. So it's not, it's not like, oh, mail-in ballots are going to be perfect. It's more like the fraud issue isn't really what we're concerned about. It's that we need the elections agencies to have the funding and expertise and support to properly manage them. And just, you know, as a preview to our listeners, like what if a voter's going in to actually physically vote, what's what's that going to look like? What can they expect? That's a really good question. There's concerns that there's going to be really long lines and that people will um, be scared off because they're worried about being exposed to the coronavirus. Um, and so, I mean, the solution <clears throat> is going to be using bigger facilities that allow for social distancing and just doing something that's a little unusual in government, which is having being ready to have more space than you really need, you know, and the capacity for more in-person voting than you're actually going to see. Because what you want is to, you want to have too much in this situation to make sure that nobody misses the opportunity to vote rather than like having just enough, which typically ends up in being too little and resulting in, in long lines and that sort of thing. Now, uh, you know, back in 2016, uh, you know, it's been well documented that Russia interfered with our elections. Uh, are they expecting more of the same this year? What are the experts saying at these conferences? Yeah, so we still face those threats, and there are still digital threats despite the positive progress that has been made. Um, one of the biggest areas that uh, security experts are worried about are things like voter registration databases and other um kinds of software that are maybe visible on the internet. So they're working really hard on protecting those from things like ransomware attacks uh, that could cause a lot of chaos, especially if they struck during or just before an election. Um, then, you know, protecting the official reporting websites where the uh, election results will be reported. And uh, like, you know, obviously, if you tamper with an election reporting website, you're not actually changing the outcome of the election, but you are creating a lot of confusion. And it could be part of a larger disinformation campaign. And that is another thing that folks are really worried about in the security space. Um, 
you know, the disinformation uh, where people with fake accounts are, you know, posting, amplifying, spreading information across the internet, getting people um, riled up over things that may be false or just inflammatory, that's still happening. And one area that that um, effort might target is just the concern over how long it will take to count the vote this year. It's very likely, I've been hearing, that we won't have results from the election right away um, on election night, um, <clears throat> and that it, no one will be able to call it right away. And so that period of time might be really confusing and contentious, and that is a kind of ripe for conspiracy theories and disinformation to amp up that tension that's already going to be there. And just from a practical perspective, uh, and I know I think you've written about this in the past, but are there any quick or easy tips on how to identify misinformation or how to sort of keep your radar on for misinformation? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this, especially on social media, is coming in meme form. And so one of my favorite things to do uh, is to reverse image search uh, the image in a meme. And so often it doesn't match whatever is being portrayed in um, the meme. You know, they'll say this is a historical event where such and such happened. Eh, no, it's not like or even a current event where like, you know, a candidate said X. No, that's not exactly what happened. Um, I mean, and that is really just one example of looking for another source. You know, just look and see if it's recorded the same way somewhere else um, before you share or comment on a story. Um, <clears throat> that gives you, even if it is, like, even if the facts are reported the same, you might see a different spin. You might get a little bit of a different perspective on it. Um, and then there are also just things in the social media platforms that help you determine whether something is trustworthy or not. Um, you know, that there can be fact checks provided with it that you might see um, other articles uh, about the same subject that you can look at there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there are lots of tools there uh, for checking it. But the main thing is to just pause and, uh, you know, maybe check a second source before you share something, especially if it's really inflammatory or uh, divisive. Right. And then beyond Black Hat, which is going on right now, DEF CON is also ramping up and goes into the weekend. And for folks who aren't in the security world, what's what is the difference between those two conferences? And what are you expecting to hear this weekend? So um, Black Hat is a more corporate-oriented conference that is for uh, people who work in the cybersecurity industry and, and are you know part of businesses, vendors who sell security products to big companies. Um, and so a lot of interesting research happens there, and you get some really interesting speakers. Uh, DEF CON is just a little bit different. People call it Hacker Summer Camp. Um, it is kind of more like a con than a conference, uh, so to speak. It is, it's more freewheeling and people are really there to show off their hacking skills. And so it's all happening, happening virtually this year, of course, but you know, there's just different kinds of speakers there. And so some of them, ones that I'm following are, are people who have, uh, looked into contact tracing apps and looked at the level of permissions that they have in terms of location data and contact and that sort of thing. Uh, that's something that I'm following. Uh, people investigate things like what they can intercept from hospitals about the way they're handling the coronavirus pandemic, the kind of data that can be intercepted there. Um, so my colleagues looking into that and, you know, just like a really wide and uh, free ranging series of topics are available there about hacking and people are, aren't doing it necessarily as part of their day job either. Some of them are, but some of them are just seeing what they can do and, and talking about it with all the other hackers at DEF CON. All right, great. Well, Thank you, Laura, for your time. If you have any questions about election security, DEF CON or Black Hat, drop us a line at The Daily Charge on Twitter. You can check out Laura's stories on CNET.com. 
for the Daily Charge. I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.